machine learning can identify objects in pictures. Machine learning can help to guide and steer autonomous vehicles, but machine learning is not the best way to write articles or text, at least according to our guest this week in the Tech Emergence podcast, Robbie Allen, who is founder of Automated Insights. Automated Insights writes articles and summarizes business data for clients around the world. The company was acquired uh, in 2015 for $80 million by a private equity firm. They're really one of the first to become well-known for what is called natural language generation. In this interview, as we speak with Robbie, we talk about what's possible with generating articles or generating text with AI today and why rules-based systems are still a big part of that process. And we also talk about the next five years ahead. What facets and elements of business, what industries are most likely to adopt this kind of auto automated text creation in the coming half decade ahead and why, who should be prepared for it and how is it going to be potentially changing the way that business is done. We get down to brass tacks with Robbie this week on the AI and industry podcast. So without further ado, this is Robbie with Automated Insights. Enjoy. So Robbie, we'll kick things off by getting an understanding of what's possible today in the world of natural language generation. I think when people think about your company, they often think about uh, automated sports articles and finance articles, and I know things kind of started off there, but give us kind of a lay of the land. If the technology was frozen today and didn't, didn't even improve in the next six months, just pretend like we're freezing time, what can be done with natural language generation now? Yeah, thanks, Dan. You know, I, it's an exciting time because, in fact, I don't think the technology needs to advance a whole lot more to still be extremely valuable to just about any enterprise that uh, has any amount of data that they're trying to understand and communicate information about. The way it works is it's predominantly a rules-based system that enables somebody to configure parameters around data and give sort of key indicators as to when to refer or to describe data in certain ways. Um, and that may not sound as magical as, as some people would hope, but in fact, where we're at today with the state of the art in machine learning and artificial intelligence is that in order to provide the level of quality and reliability that uh, pretty much all the customers we work with require, they need output that's 100% accurate. That is, yep. you're going to provide a feed of data and in return, they're going to get a, a well-summarized um, narrative that could be you know, two, even three paragraphs long that doesn't make just basic blunders. And to do that level of accuracy today, you need a rules-based system like what we provide with our platform, which is called Wordsmith. Got it. So just to kind of review and refresh on some of this, I mean, the audience is, is uh, pretty well educated on the basic AI jargon, probably the difference between artificial intelligence and machine learning is at least understood on a rough level by a bulk of our of our audience. But it sounds to me as though um, we're not necessarily talking about just kind of inferring what would be a good sentence by training a system on a million other articles. We're talking about sort of ensuring the proper next word or part of a sentence based on a sequence of rules about how sentences can be structured, about where to pull data from, et cetera. Am I sort of on the same page with you here, Robbie? Yeah, absolutely. Again, the typical use case for us is we have a business user that has a, a database, um, you know, and that could be in a business intelligence context. It could be e-commerce data. And what they want is to summarize that data um, 
in, in a way that sounds like it was done by a human. That is, it wasn't robotic or it, it you know, it actually follows basic rules of grammar. Um, and so Wordsmith, our platform, helps you structure um, a narrative in such a way that it can leverage that data to then describe it in a very efficient way. And so before you'd asked about sort of where are we at today with the technology, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wordsmith produces over a billion pieces of content every year um, across our you know, large number of customers. And obviously that, that number is growing uh, pretty significantly you know, as we help people personalize their data and tell stories at a level that you know you just can't do if you're relying on humans to write every single piece of content. Yeah, definitely not possible, particularly in the the, the low hanging fruit areas that people are familiar, like the you know sports and finance. You're not exactly going to cover the uh, the annual reports of every single publicly traded company by having interns write articles. Just really doesn't doesn't make sense. So it, it sounds like for most of these use cases. We're, we're kind of leveraging a set of rules. Now, I would love to go into kind of the how behind that. But before I do, Robbie, I want to touch on some of the use cases that are prevalent today. You know, you guys uh, were some of the first to market, certainly some of the first to be known well for natural language generation, what is now called natural language generation. You know, you are known for certain kinds of, you know, coverage and articles about when, when the company first kind of came to prominence. But maybe some of the use cases have changed and altered over the last, you know, two or three years. I imagine the ability of the, the AI systems has kind of improved. Um, talk about some of the, the kinds of use cases that are most frequent and prevalent. You don't have to give away any company names or anything special here, but just, you know, uh, sports, finance articles, sure, that's fine. But what are the other most common applications of the tech today in terms of people that are paying you? Yeah, big application that we're seeing that, that's, you know, probably one of the largest growing sectors of our business is business intelligence. You know, the traditional mode of communicating insights through business intelligence is via dashboards. That is, you know, we're going to put up a half dozen, maybe a dozen or more visualizations uh, that a person has to decipher to understand or, or get value out of all of the data that's being collected about your business and systems like Tableau and, yep. and Power BI and others. Uh, what Wordsmith enables people to do is to get a summary of that data in plain English. So in instead of requiring everybody to be a data scientist, that is, you know, have an ability to decipher complex charts and dashboards, Wordsmith can help democratize insights around that data so that now through business intelligence, you can actually get value um, across across the enterprise. You can, you know, everybody from the CEO down to the rank and file can um, you know, be able to understand what's going on in the data because it's expressed in words as opposed to charts. Huh, okay. So I would say you know, business intelligence is definitely one of the key areas, as well as you know, financial services, which is an area we've been in a long time. Yep. Media, um, which which we've talked about with sports and some other areas. You know, e-commerce is another area that we've spent a lot of time in. Let's poke into a couple of these. You mentioned media, uh, and you mentioned media with sports. I think a lot of people are familiar with that. Anybody who's listening to this now, if you go to techemergence.com, you look up our article on automated journalism. Uh, I know that we we mentioned Wordsmith in addition to a whole bunch of other various kind of applications in, in the, the editorial domain, uh, the natural language domain. So people might be familiar with the sports one. Other examples in, in media, I don't... If e-commerce kind of fits under that same bucket, what are some of the use cases in in e-commerce? Is this um, like taking images of products and finding a way to come up with descriptions, or, or what are what are the ways of sort of 
uh, applying natural language generation to e-commerce? I guess I'm less familiar with your applications in that world. Yeah, so there's a variety. You know, one of the big ones is taking product data and automatically generating descriptions. You know, oftentimes in the e-commerce world, you know, whoever has the best descriptions of their products or, yeah, yeah. you know, it's varied often can do the best in search engine rankings. And, and so you can use Wordsmith to build those product descriptions, um, you know, in a way that'll be unique for each product as opposed to something that's very templated or, you know, not very, um, you know, customized across uh, the various product categories. So this is pretty curious. So let me see if I can put this in a, in a for example. My audience really likes a good analogy to kind of cement this in their mind. I'm imagining maybe I sell a whole bunch of different apparel products and I have kind of bulleted lists or descriptive elements about them, such as, you know, what kind of fabric, where is it made, what kind of colors are available, you know, what are some of the features that make it unique, et cetera. And maybe I, I just have these sort of in some some templated format for how I log all my products into my, my e-commerce system. What I'm imagining is that, you know, images of said products and all those various descriptors could be, you know, dumped into a system and trained with some kind of a rule set to be able to come up with, you know, clean sounding, appealing sounding descriptions of these apparel products just by kind of generating those descriptions based on the, the data that's available. Is that, is that a correct assumption of how this might work, Robbie, in the real world? No, that's exactly right. And, you know, again, we've done it for everything, including, you know, basic home decor and, and sort of home products to even descriptions of automobiles and trucks. So, you know, it, it can kind of span any type of product that needs to be described. Cool. Okay. So that's another good example in the, in the e-commerce domain. And I am familiar with the fact that, you know, descriptions matter, uh, like you said, SEO wise, but also there's a lot of folks that are now selling on platforms, you know, whether it's the Alibaba's or the Amazons of the world. And clearly, you know, winning in the description game there is important as well. And if you have 100,000 products, it's very hard to have an intern write a bunch of appealing ones. So it sounds like you can structure kind of a system uh, there. To touch on one other use case you had mentioned. So e-commerce is neat. I don't think a lot of folks are familiar with the fact that, that you guys function in that space. There's at least one player in this you know, natural language generation world that I know is focusing exclusively on kind of the business intelligence space. I was not familiar with the fact that that's actually a, a succinct area of focus uh, for you folks, but I'm interested in how that would function. You, you had mentioned kind of democratizing insight and you don't have to be a data scientist. Admittedly, Robbie, there are some times where a chart and graph is just better than a paragraph. I mean, if, if I want to know, you know, what our sales look like over the last 12 months, I don't want to read a sentence. I, I just want to see a bunch of bars stacked side by side. It's just astronomically easier to work with. However, there's clearly some areas of business insight where maybe a paragraph is a better fit. I can see a bunch of examples where charts and graphs really are the best way to quickly and easily convey information. What are some of the edge cases where it's not, where really a written paragraph is a better descriptor than a series of charts and graphs? I think there's two big issues with charts and graphs. And again, you know, I, my background is visualization. So, you know, before I was automating text, I was automating visualization. So I know that space well. And one of the things that I learned was that while some people really like visualizations, you know, there's many more people that can understand text, right? So while, you know, there's definitely a class of folks that appreciate a good visualization, there's many more people that can read text and get insight from text than they can from trying to look at a chart. You know, so, th so that's one aspect of it. I think the other thing that's important is that, 
you're actually pretty limited in what you can communicate with a chart, right? So imagine you, you gave the example of looking at your sales over the past 12 months. That's a really simple example, right? You're, you're kind of talking about one variable. Oh, yeah. Oftentimes, the real world's a little more messy than that, and, and there's probably two or three more variables that you'd want to factor into that. You know, you, you, you kind of want to look at churn in relation to sales over time. You know, you kind of want to understand seasonality, for example. You know, again, it's rare that, you know, things started low in January and they went on an ever-increasing stepwise function all the way to December, right? Maybe there's seasonality built into that. Now, you, you know, you're talking about two or three variables. And, you know, are you sure that the person that's reading the visualization is going to be able to glean all the insights that is trying to be communicated versus text? You can talk about very complex data sets much more simplistically. Um, a great example that I like to use is, you know, in text, you can say things like you had a good quarter, you know. Huh, <laughs> that, so that's, good, that's interesting. It, so you have to set a rule around what good is, which is maybe 12 yes. percent growth or something. Yeah, and obviously it can look at all sorts of statistical factors, right, to assess what is good or what's maybe one standard deviation from average. Yeah, um, yeah. You can, you, there could be 10 different factors, 20 different factors that go into calculating what was good versus now trying to communicate all that with a series of charts and graphs. You know, it's much more complicated. Got it. So that might be one. I mean, and, and again, there, there's some, you know, conditional formatting, basic silly stuff where if if there's growth of 12%, then I want to color that bar green. If there's growth below that, I want to color it, you know, white. And if they're, you know, whatever the case, but, but clearly, you know, again, some people like text and also maybe some more complex concepts can be summed up better in a paragraph than they could be by looking at the three or four different charts that you might have to pull from. Going now, Robbie, into a little bit on how this works, and, and I'll try to touch on this briefly. You're definitely the man to talk to in terms of explaining this in layman's terms. You know, we're talking about rule sets that can get this done. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, just brainstorming here in my head, uh, the, the way that this would work, let's just use the business intelligence example. If I'm a company and I want to be able to read a paragraph uh, to get insight on how my business is doing in terms of whatever, metrics, growth, churn, customer service, whatever data I'm tracking, whatever could be a chart or a graph, hypothetically, I can turn into a paragraph. It seems like um, my guess is it works like this. And you tell me if I'm wrong. My guess is you guys have worked in a business intelligence capacity with enough companies to know some of the tried and true recipes of Here's how we need to format this stuff in order to pump out reports that are going to be useful for your executives. But at the same time, you probably go into different companies and they have different needs. You might go into an auto dealership and they have all kinds of like cross-referenced like seasonal reports about like sales calls to closing ratios that are just weird stuff that you've never had to deal with before. And you sort of have to bake in a new way of sort of automating certain data into certain sentences and making it happen, but that you do have maybe a pretty good batch of existing use cases you can plug and play into business. Uh, but you probably have to build a couple new ones for, for different clients. Is this a bit of how it works, Robbie, or is it different than I'm articulating? No, that's pretty spot on. I mean, w one way to think about it is a little bit like how people use Salesforce.com. Yeah, go for it. Um, you know, very rarely do I come across companies that use Salesforce.com just straight out of the box without customizing anything. Um, now, there's some basic stuff that you can use, and especially when you get going, you can use kind of the default what processes and, and ways of describing things that they they have. But typically, as your business gets more complex, you customize it. 
right? You customize Salesforce, you, you know, you add your own fields, you, you do some other things. Um, it's very similar with us. You know, there's definitely some out of the box summarization that we can do related to data. Uh, but then as you know, you want to do more complex things or factor in more variables or consider, you know, unique business processes that are specific to your organization. Obviously, that's going to require some more expertise um, and some more domain understanding to be able to kind of configure Wordsmith so that it can adequately and properly sort of describe that. And again, you know, I want to be clear that unfortunately, with the state of machine learning, there's no way to just completely automate that, no matter yep, what you yep. hear about. You know, I, I, I've been working on my PhD in artificial intelligence, and I know the, the latest and greatest with machine learning and automated NLG. And it's just nowhere near the point where people can use that to kind of solve this problem. It still requires, you know, people to build rules and to, to help configure the system to provide that, that level. Totally makes sense. And I appreciate your transparency there. Our, our real objective on te- tech emergence is to communicate how things really are, not some magical perspective of how they could be. And sometimes that's, you know, you could say it's not flattering. I happen to think maybe it is because truth is, is a good thing. Um, but sometimes it means that things are more complicated than we wish they were. And I think maybe everybody wishes that out of the box, magical AI products could deliver magical results. But what you're articulating here is that this does involve some forethought. We have to strategize. We have to think about how these things are structured. We have to set them up properly. And there have to be, you know, a strategic kind of orchestration of rules in order to pump out the result. This is not fairy dust. That's exactly yep. right. The, yep. the only point I'll add is, you Go know, ahead. I don't want to make this sound complicated than it is. In fact, you know, a <laughs> yeah. lot of the core value behind Wordsmith is we make that process as simple as it possibly can be, right? So it's, yep. you know, Wordsmith has been finely tuned to make this process of structuring narrative. And we actually do use machine learning behind the scenes for various aspects of, of our system. For example, we have a synonym generator. We have an auto variability tool that helps you add variability to your text so that you don't have to think of lots of different ways of saying something. Um, so we factor in those kind of components and the value of Wordsmith is, is putting all that together to make that process of helping you structure narratives and ways of describing data um, as easy as absolutely possible. Yep. And I, I will say this much. I haven't been able to use your system versus, you know, uh, the other maybe two or three folks that are that are in that space to be able to speak personally. But I will say uh, it sure behooves you to do what you just said you were doing, uh, because uh, I think your your market share will depend on it. So we certainly can't have only AI PhDs running the show here. In terms of that initial orchestration, I imagine when you when you get started with a client, whether it's someone covering sports, whether it's someone doing internal business intelligence, there's some strategizing and working together with your expert team on you know, what are the particular rule sets that are going to work for these articles? You know, how do we tweak and test this with, you know, X number of dozens or hundreds of examples to kind of see if we're developing a consistent result? And there's there's some, you know, like you said, it's not rocket science. It's not impossible. Clearly, you guys have customers and it's not only, you know, the biggest companies in the universe. Uh, it's, it's also some folks who aren't gargantuan and, and don't have in-house PhDs. So clearly you guys are you guys are delivering. What does some of that initial kind of setup period look like? I imagine it involves some collaboration between you and the company, figuring out the right if-then scenarios, the right rule sets to, to pump out the right result, and then kind of iterating a bit until it gets to the place where we want to see it. That's what I would imagine it would look like, you know, given given the state of the tech. But you let me know if I'm right. That, that's pretty close. And in fact, 
you know, going back to your earlier suggestion of comparing ours versus the competition, one of the things that, that's pretty interesting about our space is we're actually the only sort of, you know, generally accessible platform um, on the web. You know, pretty much all the other competition, they kind of hide behind a black box. That is, you don't, you know, interface with, with their products um, like you do Wordsmith. Generally, you know, it's kind of more of a services engagement, um, which we also support. You know, if you don't have the expertise, we can definitely yeah, do that yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. The difference with us is we give you access to the tool as well so that we can help train your team um, and, and help your team understand the tool and figure out how to use it. You know, if that's something of interest. I yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to make it a product based comparison uh, for, for the interview, but I, I do appreciate the detail on that. The only other thing that I, I wanted to cover, Robbie, I'm wary of time and, and respectful of your time here is looking ahead to the future. Um, you guys, you know, as far as I know, and I think people that follow this space, you know, you guys were some of the first to market in this domain that kind of really made a splash and became well known. I think that's still the case in natural language generation. And my guess is, Robbie, you guys are looking ahead to the future and a pretty exciting future for the future of a kind of NLP and NLG in business. When you look ahead, Robbie, and I think your opinion is going to be quite valuable here. When you look ahead for the next five years at where natural language generation could become kind of an absolute norm in business where just almost anybody in a given space is quite likely to be using it. You could say everywhere, but my guess is you if you're a betting man, Robbie, which as a business person you kind of have to be, you're, you're automatically taking risks just by putting yourself out there. If you're a betting man. Where is adoption really going to be rampant in the next five years and why for this kind of technology? Yeah, great question. You know, again, I put my money on the sort of internal business use cases. Cool. Um, because one of the key aspects, and we didn't really get to this earlier, is you need accessible data, right? You have to be able to, to get to the data in order to plug it into Wordsmith and, and, and use it. Correct. And so you kind of have to look across the landscape to see where is there the most readily accessible data. And through partnerships like we've established with Tableau and many of the leading BI vendors, in fact, we were on the main stage at Tableau's conference um, during the opening keynote, you know, where they were sort of touting this great integration that we've created together. You know, I think things like that will become much more prevalent over the next few years. And again, people... Not to say that they want to exclude charts and visualizations, but to have an alternative where they yeah, could show yeah. narrative descriptions alongside charts and, and visualizations will absolutely become much more commonplace. Um, oh, you know, if I look a little bit further out again, you know, I've been working on a, a Ph.D., you know, focused on computer science and artificial intelligence. Um, and my area of research is uh, machine learning and NLG. And so, as I mentioned before, the state of the art with those two together is not very good. In yep. fact, we can't do more than a, a sentence or two together that sound reasonable beyond that. And it starts having all sorts of issues. But my hope is that within the five to 10 year period that we potentially can come up with a breakthrough that will make that process, you know, more streamlined and even more automated. And so, you know, regardless of wh where that goes, I think automated insights, you know, there's at least five years of backlog of potential implementations that need to happen in the enterprise before we could even need to get to something that's even beyond where we're at today. Huh. So this is curious, and I, I'll poke a little bit into this before we, we wrap up because I, again, appreciate your ideas here. In terms of making the kind of machine learning side of NLG work, like you said, today, cutting edge, it's not exactly uh, getting the job done in terms of writing consistent, readable, apparently human written prose, uh, but that the rule-based 
processes are really what's getting that done. Assuming the machine learning side got cracked, would that open up kind of the grand vista that everybody's wondering about, which is kind of full-blown automated journalism, where we say, okay, you know, here's these six other articles about this particular political candidate and like the movements that they're making in order to, you know, such and such, you know, here's the, here's the subsections we want to have within this article and kind of here's what we want to be able to summarize and make clear within this article, boom. And then, and then a machine can sort of go off, run off and, and get it done. Or here's a, here's a YouTube video about some marketing strategy. I want to turn this into a 2000 word article with references to other videos on the same channel. Boom. That seems to be the, the stuff that some journalists are kind of quivering in their boots about. Is that really unrealistic to think about even in the next five years? Or is it possible that, you know, in the coming decade ahead, developments of that kind may be feasible? So it all comes down to the specific use case. And this is where it can get a little bit technical. But, um, you know, in the original one that you were describing, that's almost more of a summarization task, right? So can you take, say, you know, four articles and maybe summarize um, those four into a section in this column I'm writing? Yes. Um, that's actually not too far out. In fact, summarization technology has gotten a lot better. Um, and that's something that I think, you know, we're, we're getting really good. And, and, you know, over the next couple of years, you'll see some some good improvements there. The bigger challenge is here's a brand new data set or even here's a data set we've seen before. Now, summarize that with limited training or limited, you know, sort of input around that. Yeah. Right. So what is really the use case here? What is it that we're shooting for? Is it data oriented journalism? Is it, you know, something more qualitative in nature, which is even more difficult? Um, you know, I, I think the sort of future of automated NLG, part of it will just be how it's framed. Because there's so many different ways you could tackle it. You know, some people instantly go to, I want to see a complete work of fiction. You know, I want to see a fiction book. And there's been attempts to do that. and They've been pretty bad. But, you know, so that's one version of fully automated NLG. You know, the, the area that I focus predominantly on is more data-oriented NLG because I think that has the, the best possibilities of, you know, potentially fully automating um, you know, once you see a given data set, maybe you have some articles that describe that data set, you know, do a large training set on that. And then in the future, a new data set, you can you know, automatically produce a story without anybody writing anything. The challenge, even though with that is, you know, how many people have thousands of, of you know, articles describing a particular data set lying around, right? So yep. you kind of have to pick and choose a little bit in terms of what that future is going to look like because there's many different forms that fully automated NLG can take. Maybe I'll, I'll try to put this in a nutshell, Robbie, as we wrap up and let me know if I'm on the right page. From your educated perspective here, if, if, if I'm a writer and I'm covering sort of robust political predictions, drawing from a whole bunch of different pretty subjective kind of soft sources, I'm probably pretty safe in terms of my journalism job on a day-to-day. -day. However, if I'm summarizing how well the company did and sending those kind of memos to to major management, then maybe sometime in the next five years, I, I should start sort of wiggling my way into another position because that might be closer to low-hanging fruit uh, in terms of um, full-blown automating written content. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's the two areas that are, um, you know, are, are areas I would not suggest people entering are <laughs> data-oriented quantitative analysis. That is, you're looking at data and describing it. You know, that computers are just going to are better at that. They're better at that already, and people shouldn't be doing that largely. 
And then the other one is any sort of summarizing. You know, again, you're supposed to read five articles and come up with a paragraph summary or any kind of summarization like that. You know, that will largely be automated as well. Now, the areas that won't be are more of the qualitative aspects, right? So, you know, maybe you're writing an earnings report about um, Facebook and you want to talk about, you know, all of the fake news issues that are going on, right? Yeah, like, again, yeah, there's yeah. not really a data source that you can pull from. You know, maybe there's not a, you know, a group of articles that are all talking about something similar that you can summarize. You know, things that where you can kind of rely on either interviewing or qualitative analysis, um, you know, those are going to be difficult to be automated. Got it. Well, uh, yeah, a wide set of background context and sort of in in the world personal experience. Obviously, machines aren't aren't going to be catching up there quite as quickly as they are with assessing data or sum, summarizing similar text. So note taken, I think for those of you who are journalists, which is very few of the people who listen to our show, uh, you know, jot those down. And for those of you who run businesses, hopefully this is a, a fruitful perspective into the future as to what kind of text-based tasks may very well be done by machines in the next half decade ahead. So Robbie, that's all that we have for time, but I very much appreciate your perspective here on AI and industry. Thanks so much for joining us. Sure. And Dan, I think one way to summarize is I think your job's safe, at least for the next five years. Excellent. All right. Hey, that's good news, folks. You'll still have more episodes of this podcast in the near future. Robbie, thanks again, brother. Absolutely. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.